Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 46 of Radio Radar, the official Games Radar podcast. This week on the show, myself, Anthony John Agnello, Susan Arndt, David Roberts, and our own Sam Prill take a tour through your video game world. We discuss Metroid Prime Federation Force, the likelihood of Metroid Prime 4 coming to the Nintendo NX. We talk about No Man's Sky's peculiar endgame, as well as the nature of hype and how it affects our relationships with video games. And finally, we close with a celebration of the Super Nintendo's 25th anniversary by looking back at some of its weirdest, most unsung games. Listen on. California knows how to party. California. I, God, I really, you see, when you try to do the background to a Tupac song. Yeah. And you don't have something to modulate your voice. You just sound like an asshole until you get to the Dre part where you're like, welcome to the wild, wild west. And I don't sound like Dre at all. So no. it gets even worse. Yeah, it does. It gets really bad. Everybody welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Radio God, Radar, so episode forty-six. Weird. Oh my. We're good God. at. It. Did you ever just like realize that suddenly how weird we are? Nope. Everybody else is weird. Go look <laughs> at the Rotten Tomatoes scores for Kingsglaive Final Fantasy Fifteen. Yeah, they're all wrong. Okay. No, you're that. That is entirely accurate. That is entirely it's, accurate. That movie is awesome. Right. Precisely. I actually. I, I, anybody listening? Go. I know we've talked about Kingsglaive three weeks in a row, but here's the reality. It has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 8%. What? 8%. And if you go, it's just like one fresh critic rating. And it's one. Here's something I really genuinely wonder. Same exact plot, same exact dialogue, same exact everything, but if it were live action... Would it still? Would it have the same score? Or not I Final Fantasy? I was gonna say, or yeah, if it didn't have Final Fantasy in front of it, take out the name Final Fantasy, and I think it would be like Rotten Tomatoes score of sixty-two percent. It's like it, it would be a an equilibrium situation. You know what I mean? As in the movie, like as it yeah, as in the movie where it's the kind of thing where at first critics are like sitting there being like oh this is a bunch of bullshit but then it finds its audience and then it eventually gets like re-released and people find it you know later on like like uh you know um the perfect example that i go to dave and i were talking about kingslave again and uh i i said tell me where this quote came from Mm -hmm. in what context was this movie review written insufferable, lumpy, and dolorous, infatuated with an aura of hand-me-down gloom. What? Okay, where now where do you think that came from in the pantheon? This isn't Kingsglaive, but in the pantheon of movie reviews. That is the goddamn New York Times in the middle of their vicious takedown of Donnie Darko when that movie first came out. Oh, okay. So this is what's happening with Kingsglaive, I'm telling you. Like, it's just a bunch of, like, mm, this is yeah. stupid and video games are dumb. Uh, you know like, what's not I, dumb, everybody? I really don't like being the person who says, you don't like something that I like, therefore you don't get it. Right. But I, I really <laughs> think there's a, there's a lot of not getting it going on. Yeah, there, and, and, well, there's a lot of, oh, it's Final Fantasy, and yeah. I don't know that series. Right, and right, it's right, like, right, right. 
It's no Do your it, research. <laughs> it's no more convoluted than an ep, like a typical episode of Game of Thrones. Which, to nope. be fair, uh, critics also, when that first started airing on HBO, they slammed it. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I think I think King's Glaive suffers a lot from just the fact that like the reason why the score is so low is because there are only like fifteen reviews. Oh, that's true. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't a wide release; like only right. a handful of people actually saw it and reviewed it. Like. A lot of the, a lot of fan reaction, and I hate to bring up fan reaction because fans also like some of the fans were like Suicide Squad is great, and you're like, no, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, like it's on a fundamental not. level. Uh, but no, like th- this is definitely this. This is an example of a movie for the fans. Like Suicide Squad yeah, yeah. is not for the fans. This is for the fans, and uh, I think uh, if you go in with an open mind, it's it's fun times. Hey, who the hell are we? I what don't is, know. We've been we got derailed we? about. Where are we? This is what we get for starting with R and B every single time. Every than time. An actual station ident. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to Radio Radar. Uh, my name is Anthony John Agnello, senior social editor at Games Radar Plus, and we are back with our weekly podcast. Uh, typically, there are three of us. Now there are four of us. We have executive editor Susan Arndt. Hello, and we are recording this on National Dog Day, so I'm just going to let you know that my favorite video game dog is Missile from Ghost Trick. Yeah, it's the best oh, dog. Oh, oh. Objectively the best dog. <laughs> I think so, yes. Objectively the best dog. Objectively welcome. the best stab. Yeah, he yells welcome whenever <laughs> yes. you see He's him. He's so happy. Scream I know. Shakes. I just want to say welcome. <laughs> Uh, objectively the best staff Roberts, Dave Roberts. Hello, if you're wondering why my voice is nice and husky today, it's because I have a cold. So that's been a fun time. It's not, it's not because don't it's National it, Dog Day? No, it's not like because it's National Dog No, I don't know if it's a cold or if it's, the, there are like wildfires going on around <laughs> where I live. And open, it's really hot, so you have to keep the windows open. But... When you do, it's like living inside of a nice, like, hickory curing station. <laughs> and I feel like I am just swimming in a campfire. Oh, and it's been like this for, like, gross. a week and a half. Gross. That's really not good for your respiratory system. No, it's no. not. But it's really if, not. We, if we close the windows, it gets, like, 80, almost 90 degrees in here. And because we live yeah. up in the Pacific Northwest, we don't have air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> Fun times. It's been great. It's been great. I love it. I love it up here. I'm, I'm glad that I'm. You no, know, I like. I'm. I'm legitimately glad that I moved because otherwise it'd be 120 degrees where I used to live in Phoenix, and I would never want to go outside. Yeah, no, it's gross. But this is the dark time. Like the the three three to four weeks up here is the dark time. Uh, our fourth chair today is the man who lives in the state with cornfields. Filled with dead baseball players, Sam Prell. Oh my, I'm, I'm so nervous. I just <laughs> no, it's uh, it's actually pretty nice here. It's only like 70 degrees and like slightly cloudy. It's been it's been pretty chill up here in uh, Fuck you. Midwest Iowa. <laughs> yeah, everybody around me is just screaming about drowning in humidity or suffering from wildfires and becoming a living barbecue. But no, over here it's just nice. Yeah, hi, it's 100 yeah, it's... today. Fuck off. It's so funny. Like, usually, I mean, New York City typically, on, on this, in this stretch of August, New York City literally turns 
into an overturned porta potty that somebody has set on fire and then covered with pop rocks. <laughs> that wow. is like okay. That is what this city co- becomes in terms of like feel, it, like texturally and uh, olfactory. Like it, it smells like that. But today. <laughs> It's actually, like, it's only, like, 80, and there's no humidity, and there's just, like, a cool breeze going on outside. I went out for, for iced coffee before the show, and just everything was so pleasant. It's it's like a gift. Whereas you, Susan, you are literally in a swamp. I am. It's it's not just a swamp. It, it because it is so sunny, it is, mm. like, be, it is like being an ant under the magnifying glass lens and a cruel child you just you're instantly frying the like i just went out and walked the dogs and so it's about 60 or 60 to 70% humidity today Ugh. and you feel like you are are frying you like cooking so we were we were out there for maybe 15 minutes and and it was just unbearable so what you're telling me is that the sun is literally a small child going what the frick yes Yes. That's that's a strange thing. I I would recommend that you try to play the game that I've been playing because it's portable and you can be as close as possible to air conditioning uh, while you play it, and and that would help with the heat situation. But the reality is is that the game itself might make you so angry while you were playing it that it wouldn't it would just negate. All the cooling powers of the AC. It would just it would just make it as hot inside as it is outside. Do tell us of uh, this mystery game. I'm telling you, right, Sam. I have been playing because because I wanted to know. I have been playing. Oh God. Metroid Prime Federation Force mm. for the Nintendo 3DS. Uh, now we we've sort of talked about Federation Force on the podcast before because we were talking about the awesome Metroid 2 remake. That just came out, the unofficial Metroid 2 remake. This is the first... Yeah, it's awesome. This is the first Metroid game officially made uh, by Nintendo. It's actually made by Next Level Games, the guys that made Luigi's Mansion 2, which is amazing. Uh, It's the first Metroid game in six years, since Domestic Samus' birth in Metroid (laughs) Other M. Uh, Domestic Samus is, is nowhere to be seen. In Metroid Prime Federation Force. For some reason, Metroid Prime Federation Force took the tack of, like, tie-in games, like The Lord of the Rings, War in the North, where it's like, you don't get to be the main character in this series. You get to be the scrubs. <laughs> you are off-brand Legolas, and you run around... <laughs> off-brand Legolas, I love that. everything that the Fellowship did, but, like, an hour yes. later. Yeah, literally. Like, you... Federation Force is a, a, a four-player... Uh, multiplayer sort of adventure shooter uh, that you that you are playing as the scrubs in the Galactic Federation that basically are doing the stuff before you play a game as Samus. You're exploring and and fighting through these three planets. It's mission based, and you can play it by yourself, and and it's fine, really. Like you know, I I know some reviewers were like, oh, it's impossible to play by yourself because they don't scale the difficulty based on how many people are actually playing. But you can have, like, three drones with you. And there's character customization for your little mech. Uh, All the characters are... 
they're four little Federation dudes, and they all ride around mechs that basically look like you know when you see a cosplayer trying to be a transformer, <laughs> and like the, everything's made out of crappy spray painted cardboard, and and or like Iron Man, they made a homemade Iron Man costume, and it's like, dude, nice tissue boxes with gold trim on your arms. It looks like somebody tried to make Samus armor out of tissue boxes. Oh, and that's just what you're 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 riding in the game. You can customize it if you're playing by yourself. There are little mods that you collect that give you stat boost, and there's one called Lone Wolf that'll power you up if you're playing solo play, and there are drones that follow you around. The the way that I described it to Dave after playing it for three hours is that it's sort of like if you if you combined Metroid Prime and Left 4 Dead, or you made a sequel to Evolve that no one wanted. Isn't that... never mind. which sounds i I, like that sounds probably a little cruel but it's so the weird thing is is that all of the missions are still metroidy like you're doing the stuff that you would do as samus but with none of the fun of samus's powers so in the second mission you go to a a desert slash volcano planet and there is a yeah like you do and there are ancient ruins there. Of course. There, yeah. And they, Susan, you'll love this. Oh. <laughs> your little your little Federation commander is like, what we can tell about this ancient civilization is that they worshipped something called the orb. Of so course! They wor- it's always so a they fucking wor- ball! <laughs> they worship space ball. Always they a ball. They worship space ball. <laughs> And so you go through and it's, it's, you know, you need to get inside of this ancient temple to retrieve this artifact that we're picking up our scanners before space pirates get to it. And in order to get there, there are a bunch of puzzles where you find a ball, like a glowing ball, and you need to shoot it er, and manipulate it around the environment to get it into a specific place. You're literally just trying to knock a ball into a hole. And sometimes it's tricky, like, oh no, there's a stair in the way of the ball, so you have to charge up your arm cannon and shoot it in just the right way so it goes over the stair, but so it doesn't go off into the pit of lava and you have to start the whole puzzle again. I I hate everything about what you're saying. So it's literally like if you were forced to play Metroid Prime, but you weren't Samus. Because <laughs> if you were just Samus, you could just turn into a ball and go into the hole and everything would be done. Didn't they have like a and, soccer spinoff mode in one so of the Metroid that, games? That is included in this. It's called Blast Ball. Ugh. And it, it, it is literally Rocket League if Rocket League were really slow and awkward. That's all it is. Cool. You, you shoot a ball <laughs> into a goal... And so it, I, this doesn't sound very fun, does it? No. Based on this description, it is it is Metroid Prime stripped of the puzzle solving and exploration elements and pretty much just the combat. Yeah, like it, it sounds like if you get a group of people together that you love and trust, you could probably find a good time in here, but it doesn't sound like... A Metroid game, like at all. See, here's here, here's the problem, though, Dave. Because if you had four people, I was thinking about this. I was like, do I want to try and convince anybody to do this with me? 
And then I realized, like, no, we'd all just be annoyed by these ball puzzles. <laughs> we, would, we would all just be like, oh, great, I have to reset this stupid ball puzzle again. Cool. And now all of us are doing it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I played this at PAX East, and, like, I, I Anthony wanted me to get some hands-on with it. because it's like, everyone says that it sucks, but I, I trust your opinion on things. I want you to go and see how good it is. So I went during press hour to check it out, and I played it. And when I was done, the Nintendo, like... Uh, demo guy who was there looked at me he's like what do you think and I just look up at him into his like sad glassy eyes <laughs> and I'm like it's interesting and then I left and yeah. yeah it's uh man I, I worry about what this means for the future of Metroid because it's one of those things where it's like Metroid is a series that has typically not sold very well um, it sells better in America than it does in Japan, but it's still, like, of Nintendo's franchises, it is one of their least successful. Uh, Metroid Prime mm. did really well, but um, as far as, like, the side-scrolling ones go, they, they typically don't do as well. But this Metroid game is not the game that Metroid fans want, and I don't see many people who aren't Metroid fans looking at this game and going, yeah, that's something that I want to buy. And so well, like, I, I don't I don't think it's going to do very well. And then I I, I worry that Nintendo is going to look at its its sort of uh, failure to to perform as going like, well, people just don't want Metroid games, and then not making like the Metroid game that we actually want. Dave, I will say, and, and like this is the, this is the thing, you know, I, I I as I'm saying all this, it sounds like I you know played enough of this, and I'm just not going to keep playing it. I am going to keep playing it. I've played about half of the missions at this point, and I'm going to finish it. The campaign takes about 12 hours. And the reason, even though, like, I hate this, and Susan, we talked about this on the show not too long ago, because mm -hmm. there was a mobile game that you were playing that you just loathed. Yep. You hated it. Hated it. And, and you couldn't stop playing Nope. And I still it. have not deleted it from my iPad. I haven't played it since, <laughs> but I haven't deleted it either. It's still right? there. And, and that compulsion is because, like, there is something in it that appeals to you, regardless of the fact that this substantiation of it is terrible. In for me, playing Federation Force, and, and it's so weird, because I didn't even realize it was happening at first. I, I was like, I was like, why do I keep playing this? These levels are just pissing me off. Like, just, all it is is that awful, tedious combat where it takes a million years to kill one thing. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh, I'm playing this because I love the feel of Metroid Prime. Like, that that smooth sort of gliding over the surface of a planet where, like, you have that weird weight and there's that, that sort of slow, ponderous turning that, that Samus has in Primes 1, 2, and 3. And this has it. Like, it still feels like Metroid Prime while you're playing it. And I'm like, this is, oh man, like it feels so good. And yet it's not, you're not doing anything fun with it. Uh, Dave, I, I share your concerns about what this means for the series, but I honestly think that the reason this game is out is that they are making a Metroid Prime for NX. See, you are to Metroid Prime NX that I am to Metal Gear being a, a giant ruse. Like, keep dreaming, man. No, <laughs> I was going to say, and you're both I, in denial. 
No, okay. Here, I have logic behind this. I have logic behind this theory. Because Nintendo has always, in the periods when they really wanted to bolster the Metroid series as something to, like, sell its big Nintendo thing, is they always couple one of the big, you know, console releases with a, uh, with a uh, handheld release. You know, Metroid Prime came out in 2002, eight years after uh, Super Metroid. It had been forever. They did a full-court press. The exact same day in 2002, Metroid Fusion for Game Boy Advance came out alongside Metroid Prime. So there's the smaller thing to bolster up the big thing. And then it happened again in 2004. Zero Mission came out pretty much just a few months before Metroid Prime 2 Echoes. And then in 2006, you had Metroid Prime Hunters on DS, and it was supposed to come out alongside Metroid Prime 3, which was going to be a Wii launch title, and then that got delayed. And so this time, I honestly think that, you know, the NX was supposed to be out this fall. Everything was going to be fall 2015. Oh, we, we like, oh, it's, you know, Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Absolutely positively going to be out at the end of 2015. We promise. We swear. It's going <laughs> to happen. And now, NX isn't even freaking coming out until spring of 2017, and yet they had this 3DS Metroid game that reestablishes the Prime universe and even calls back to the hidden ending of, of Metroid Prime 3. If anybody hasn't beaten Metroid Prime 3, do we need a spoiler warning no, on a nine-year-old no, game? It's no, bullshit, right? No, 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 no. So at the end of Metroid Prime 3, Samus flies off into space, and one of the her bounty hunter nemeses from Hunters and Prime 3, Silux, there's a cool name, Silux. <laughs> Sweet. Because <laughs> like he's after got her. a trench coat and sweet shades. Yeah, he's got sweet Ray Bans, everybody, and frosted tips. Uh, but Silux, they, this Metroid Prime Federation Force, I haven't gotten to this point, but I, I have read that if you get to the end, it ties back into that ending and like is like, yeah, Silux is hunting down Samus. So I think, I think that they're they're gonna be making a real. Metroid Prime game. I don't know if you're going to like be like teaming up with Tissue Box Samus while you are Samus, but <laughs> do you it's probably going to happen? Anthony, do you think that they're going to be making a new Metroid Prime game, or do you hope that? Because like I hope every year that Ubisoft will announce Beyond Good and Evil Two at E3, but I never think <laughs> <Right>. they will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I more think rather than hope okay. because what I hope what I hope is I want Yoshio Sakamoto the guy who made the original Metroid 1, 2, and Super Metroid, and and the guy who wrote Other M, the guy who's responsible for that <laughs> script. What I really want is for him to try and fix what he did. I want... I want a, I want a new I Metroid want an explanation, damn it. Yeah. I want, no, I want... I just want a follow-up to Metroid Fusion. Metroid Fusion is so badass. It's a story of Samus literally becoming the thing that she has always feared the most. She becomes part Metroid, and then at the end, defeats herself in combat and flies off into space with her best bird friend that she rescues from an exploding space station and her robot dad named Adam. I want to see what happens next after that. I don't care about Silux. His name is Silux. <laughs> I hope... 
that we get a Metroid 5 someday. But I think, Sam, that we're going to get Metroid Prime 4 on the NX. Uh, and that thinking is what is going to prevent me from, like, getting too excited about the Nintendo NX reveal that's coming up in September. I don't want to get I don't want to get too excited about Nintendo NX as we've discussed many times on the podcast in recent weeks. And we've also discussed in recent weeks the the delicate nature of of expectations for a game and uh, particularly one game uh, named No Man's Sky. Which, uh, I, I think we sort of exhausted what Dave and I thought about that. Sam, I definitely want you to chime in on No Man's Sky, but Susan, as the, as the probably our most fervid, uh, No Man's Sky player... Yes. Uh, you, you've had an interesting experience in the past week with that game. What happened? Well, I... Okay, so this is going to contain spoilers, such as they are for No Man's Sky. Uh, if you don't want to know things about what little plot there is, now's the time to start skipping ahead in your podcast, okay? You've been warned. Three, two, one, go. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the the one path that you can follow in the game, uh, when you first start playing the game, if you talk to Ball, because again, it's a ball. It's a space ball. It's space ball. Red ball. Uh, it puts you on the Atlas path, and that's where you pick up the Atlas stones and every time you uh, go to an atlas point, you have a conversation with Ball, and it starts, you know, talking about the nature of the universe and that this is all a simulation, and you decide whether or not you want to keep going down the atlas path. And at every point, you get a ball, because of course you do. So, after you collect ten atlas stones and you have visited Atlas ten times, you get to the end of the atlas path, at which point you can either... You either have the, uh, if you've kept all 10 Atlas Stones, you can cash them in, or not. What you get, (laughs) yeah, what you get for cashing them in is, I believe, I don't have evidence of this, but it would make sense, uh, you get a, a planet is named after you. Uh, that's what they call in the industry a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole, the whole storyline of the Atlas Path is that uh, this is all a simulation and, and you're kind of seeing, you're seeing into the matrix, for want of a better uh, word. And if you've been following the story of uh, the Gek and the Vikine uh, and the Daft Punks mm. and the Sentinels, <laughs> that's actually all really, really cool. The story that it doles out to you is, is really quite interesting how it all fits together. If you've been making the effort to go visit the the uh, monoliths and and the various plaques and stuff on the on the planets to learn the history of the three alien races that you encounter, if you haven't been doing that, then the Atlas Path really does nothing for you. And once you've handed in your Atlas stones, it's just like, okay, see ya, <laughs> right? So first, and that's of all, it. That's all there is to do. Well, right? well. I don't know. So because okay. okay, so first of all, let me make it clear. Sell sell your Atlas stones, just sell them. They're worth a ton. You'll be able to get a better ship like really fast and you won't have to worry about them taking up all 10 spaces in your inventory because they don't stack because of course they don't. Uh so just sell them. Fuck it. Just sell them. So when you go back so when once Atlas is like peace, uh 
you can continue exploring the universe and now it's pushing you towards going from black hole to black hole hmm. which is going which is guiding you towards the center of, of the universe uh, which is a lot more of the same but there's no storyline to go with it it's just you go to a place where there's a black hole and you go through the black hole and the next place there's a black hole also has some planets and stuff <laughs> and then you go to the next yeah you see, you know, right mm-hmm. so uh the only thing that i still have left to really accomplish at this point i mean i haven't hit the center of the, the galaxy but who cares um there okay so just about you probably have an atlas level one pass but if you've gone around the game at all you've seen that there are doors that are locked with level two and level three passes so my current mission is like, is that even in the game yet? Now, mm. uh, a person that I've been communicating with on Twitter just told me that he got the blueprint for the Atlas for uh, level two pass by you, periodically on the Atlas path, you visit two aliens, uh, Polo and Nada. And when you check in with Polo, he's the cute little geck. He will check off one of your milestones like oh you've visited this many planets or you've learned this many words or whatever and if it's a high enough level he'll give you something hmm. so uh my uh, this person on twitter told me that his level of shooting enemy ships was high enough that he got the atlas pass level two so i'm going to try and do that same thing we'll see what happens because i've maxed out everything else it's it's shooting ships and identifying animals, like 100%ing planets. Those are the only two things I have not maxed out. I'm going to try that. I'm going to see what happens. I, so, I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't tell if you like this game anymore. Well, <laughs> I, I will be perfectly honest. Well, here, okay. Let me be... Because you said, like, this sounds like somebody who's talking about a part-time job. Yeah, oh, I know. No, that's like. totally fair. <laughs> to be very, very clear... I have a positive reaction to No Man's Sky because I certainly got more than... If it doesn't change a bit, if there's literally sure. nothing else for me to do, I have more than gotten my enjoyment out of that game. I had a sure. great experience with it, enjoyed my time with it. Okay, so. But, that said, at this point, I'm not playing it anymore. I have stopped playing it, and I'm waiting until, like, they've talked about they're going to add things like base building and, and stuff like that, uh, and I'm waiting for that update whenever Mm. it happens to dive Mm. back into it because while i still enjoy zooming around and i and talking to the gack and and i just love them they're so cute (laughs) i've like i'm i'm making my own game at this point like right now i'm uh looking for planets that have radnox which is a, a rare element it looks like little jellyfish floating in the sky incredibly rare what i don't need it for anything, mm-hmm. but I found it once, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Oh, this is hard to find. I'm gonna go try and find one." Mm-hmm. And I it go. Sounds... On... Sorry. No, go ahead. This sounds like Destiny Year One. Like it I is... have nothing to do. I'm going to make mm-hmm. my own game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. There are definite similarities to that, for sure. And in fact, I gave. I stopped playing No Man's Sky to go back to Destiny. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you gotta gear up. It's like people, like, I love that after, you know, as we enter year three of Destiny, that Destiny has sort of become, like, it's entered the fantasy football cycle, 
where it's like just before everything starts, everybody's like, yeah, man, I'm doing my mock drafts for Rise of Iron. <laughs> just like thinking about what kind of character I'm going to roll, what's going on in the Crucible, you know, getting back in there. Dropping by the Cryptarch's place, asking those mommies. Uh, like, I kind of love what, like, that, that culture of what that game has come, become. Susan, I, I gotta tell you, I sold my copy of No Man's Sky. Me I played too. more, and I was like, you know, I respect the shit out of this game. I think it is, I, you know, let's put all the controversy aside of, like, this is what Hello Games said it was going to be, this right. is what people thought it was going to be. Put all that aside, I think they made something that is fascinating and beautiful, and I hate playing it, and that's why I turned it into an action figure of Link. Uh, because because that's that's just my relationship with that game. That's, yeah. you know, that's... Uh, and that is a completely legitimate reaction. Like, for me, I, I am bringing a lot to this game. The game asks the player to bring... A lot to it. I am I am bringing all my Star Trek and and Firefly and every, like every dirty space show fantasies to this game. Yeah. And if you don't have them, there's nothing going on in that game. <laughs> nothing. Sam, have you been playing this? Have you been playing No Man's Sky? Uh, playing is a strong word. Uh, <laughs> I certainly have okay. experienced it. It was running on a PlayStation, and I had a controller in my hand. I, uh, okay, I admire conceptually, at a conceptual level, what uh, Hello Games was able to accomplish, especially considering the size of their team and their previous games. Like, this is just way beyond what anybody would have reasonably expected, and they not only finished it, but they shipped it relatively close to when they wanted to you know this was not a like eight year delay um that being said i found absolutely no enjoyment out of it whatsoever Mm. like so if you wanted the action-packed space adventure it's not that because Mm -hmm. there's you know there's no multiplayer so you're not pvping the what little combat there is is so incredibly basic that doing it against creatures is non-fulfilling and doing it at a space station is just pointless. Uh, So if you want a combat game, it's definitely not that. But they've even talked about how, you know, this is a very chill game. It's an exploration game. And I could dig that if it felt like the places I was going to were unique and distinct as it is, I can see the procedural generation too much. You know, like I see mm-hmm. into the game um, and I'm I'm recognizing things and I'm like, oh, well, this planet had that because the algorithm said it did. It doesn't feel like a real place. It feels like something that was scripted by a computer, just random mountains and that sort of stuff. It kind of feels like it's the difference between exploring an unknown planet in Mass Effect 1 and exploring an unknown planet mm. in Mass Effect 2. Like the yeah. Mako or Mako, however you want to pronounce it, sections that are just these jagged mountains with no distinct terrain, and every now and then there's like a weird little base that you could do one thing in. That's Mass Effect 1, and that's No Man's Sky. And what I want is distinct, unique places that I can remember exactly what makes them different, like in Mass Effect 2. So I did yeah. not like No Man's Sky. Yeah, it, I, it's really funny that you should mention the Mako 1 sections of uh of mass effect the original mass effect because 
I got that feeling a lot in No Man's Sky, and I found myself sometimes in No Man's Sky wishing that I had, you know, in my first few hours, discovered a planet like the ones you would see in Mass Effect, where it was like there is nothing. Where it was like, I, I can only get enough resources to get myself the hell out of this wasteland. Mm, mm-hmm. But, like, because that would make it feel more spacey to me, right. you know? Yeah. like Because, you know, Susan, you mentioned Firefly, and, like, I never got a Firefly feeling from it because that there, there's too little romance in No Man's Sky. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very chilly. You know, you like Sam was saying, like, you can feel the mathematical uh, nature of its presentation at times, which is awesome because that really gives you, like, a hard... Uh, 2001 or or Star Trek the motion picture feeling to it, you know? Mm-hmm. I definitely had moments playing No Man's Sky where I was like, where's V'ger at? Where do I get V'ger and have my Spock flying into um, the space anatomy? Yeah, no, you're, 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 everything everybody is saying is completely true. Yeah. Uh, and I think that No Man's Sky is going to end up being a game that gets added to a lot and like in two or three years after two or three major updates it'll be one that we encourage people to come back revisit because it will have those extra layers (laughs) and and susan do you already roll your eyes thinking about the pitches you're going to get in 2021 oh god stop it just don't (laughs) think pieces like what the no man's sky launch really meant man Stop it. A Snapchat, Snapchat exclusive. Oh, <laughs> twenty one. Yeah, no, I <laughs> like I I there's like I said, it asks you to bring a lot to the table. Like for me, like one of my favorite things to do in No Man's Sky right now, if you land on a planet and you find the first thing you do when you step out of your ship on any new planet is it tells you what the planet is like, what its atmosphere is like, how much flora there is, how much fauna there is, and the activity level of the sentinels. And if they're, if it's super high, or my personal favorite, frenzied, mm. that means there's items of high value there, like albumin pearls or gravitron balls. Again, balls, because it's always balls. <laughs> so what I love doing is running around stealing all this shit and pissing off sentinels. Because yeah. what I used to do is, like, I'd pick one up, and then I, what happens if you pick up a, an albumin pearl, for example, is uh, the sentinels will come after you. And then I would, I would shoot them all and collect the titanium, and I would move on to the next one. Next one. What I found out was that if you just get out of their line of sight, they'll eventually give up. Hmm. So I'll, like, pick up six or seven and then just run. And eventually they give up, and I'm like, ha, ha, I got all this money. And, like, the mental image of my little astronaut running around stealing these basketball-sized things and, like, holding onto them, running across this jagged planet through acid rain, pissing off sentinels, because sentinels are jerks, Mm. just delights me. I think it's hilarious. The other thing, Susan, you... you approached no man you and i approached no man's sky from the same place though which is you know whereas i feel like many people their disappointment doesn't come from the fact that oh hello games misled me about the features in this game mm. it's that they they beca- 
came, they joined in in a cycle of hype yes. for this game. Yes. That that like, and I, I, Sam and I were sitting next to each other in a smelly pizza stanked hotel room at E3 2014. The moment this began. Mm. When that tra- when that trailer rolled and everybody's freaking out, they're like, "Oh my god, it's the ultimate sci-fi game!" Sam and I were both sort of sitting there, and I remember Sam, you were just like, "All right, I'll get to work on the news story." That was it. That was the <laughs> effect it had on you. But there were there were people in the other room that were bugging out, that were like, "This is the coolest thing I've ever seen." Yeah. And I, I Susan, you and I. Had that reaction that Sam did, where we looked at it as like, oh, that's I'm gonna write about it. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, but that's pretty. I'll play it when it comes out. Exactly. And, yes. And I I feel like you and your relationship with No Man's Sky comes from uh, you know a place that is divorced from that hype universe. I paid next to no attention to No Man's Sky. None. I knew it was a thing that existed, uh, and I sent people on appointments. To go cover it, which I, you know, copy edited and stuff. But I really didn't pay attention to it. I was like, oh, that's a neat concept. When it was announced, I was like, that's a really neat concept. When it comes out, I'll see what it's like. That was it. And mm. I, then I did not, like, gorge myself on any information. Because my, I like to go into things as blind as possible. Because if you go into something, that's why, like... I, I try, if I haven't already read the book before I see the movie, I try not to. So hmm. I don't want to go in with preconceived notions. I, I want to go in with as few ideas as possible as to the experience I'm about to have. Because that way I have a better chance of having an honest reaction to it, positive or negative. Hmm. Hmm. Dave, how do you feel? I mean, you... You you have said to me, like, you know, when Suicide Squad came out, my favorite thing that you said was, the best part is, is none of this affects me. I don't care. <laughs> I don't give a shit about any of this. But you, you are... You you are not a stranger to getting psyched about things. Oh, no. oh my hugely, god! You 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 are an enthusiastic gentleman. Yeah, like, uh, I... I try to avoid hype when I can, especially, like, the, the sort of um, PR-manufactured hype, like, with the trailers and with the, you know, the, the dev diaries and stuff. Like, I try to avoid getting hyped up there because that's all, like, it's a very controlled thing. Uh, when I get excited about something, it's usually when I have a chance to really, like, sit down and try something. Like, Metal Gear Solid Five wasn't even on my radar, Mm-hmm. Until I got to spend two days playing that game at uh, the Kojima studio, the the now shuttered Kojima Studios in LA, like that. Ge- like I I played Ground Zero, so I was like, oh okay, and then like I didn't touch it again. But then once I played the Phantom Pain for like fifteen hours at that preview event, I went back and like just blasted through Ground Zeroes, like everything that it had to offer, because suddenly I got it. You know, um, and it's it's the moment when I start to get really excited about something is the moment when it starts to feel like a real game. Like that's how I, I'm starting to feel about Final Fantasy 15. Like I'm excited about that game because it's starting to feel real. I'm starting to see what that game has to offer me as someone who enjoys Final Fantasy games, as someone who enjoys JRPGs. 
and someone who wants something new for this franchise that has been kind of stumbling for a while and the things that i'm seeing and again like with final fantasy 15 my hype didn't re- like like my excitement didn't really get into overdrive until i watched king's glaive and i saw that like okay yes i want to spend time in this world and then i watched brotherhood and it was like yes i these are characters i can get behind and then i'm like like now i'm i'm way more interested in Final Fantasy XV as a result, because I'm starting to see how things are coming together. I never felt that way about No Man's Sky, because I had no... I had no way to contextualize anything that it was trying to sell me. Like, how how, how do you put a finger on something that has six, like, 18 quintillion planets? You know, you can't. There's no way. Like, th- that's a meaningless number. It means nothing. And it's like the, the whole thing about getting to the center of the galaxy is like uh, such a nebulous concept because all of it's mired in mystery and um, like I don't know like like to me it's the, the excitement comes when when things start to feel like hmm. real yeah if that makes sense Sam what's your relationship with getting pumped up for things man you're also you know I I consider you a, a very enthusiastic person as well. But I think of you as, like, a lover, you know? Like, you have the things that you love, and everybody else be damned. You don't care what they think of them. You love those things. Is that is that a relationship that starts before something comes out and you haven't experienced it, or what? Well, I am a lover. Um, <laughs> but A lover and a fighter. I, lo- I was going to say, notice I didn't say not a fighter. Uh, yeah. No, I... The things that I, like, really love are things that I have developed a relationship with over time. So things like mm. um, Warcraft, Halo, the Metal Gear series, those are all things that I really love. But they're because I started young and I've been following them forever. Um, sure. If it's something brand new like No Man's Sky, it has a harder time exciting me and getting me into it. But I will admit that I am susceptible to the marketing and the trailers. And like if I see a really cool trailer for something... I will get hyped. Like, I really love the um, concept, for example, of Horizon Zero Dawn, the new game from Guerrilla. Mm-hmm. Um, they pitched it really well, and I just like the aesthetic, and I'm pretty excited about that game. Um, I wouldn't say I have the same level as I would for, like, a new Metal Gear series game or a new Halo game or a proper, like, Warcraft sequel or that sort of stuff. But I still, like, go into them with excitement. I think it's okay to get excited. The big thing yeah. that I always keep in the back of my mind is I know that from past experiences, hype can be misleading and trailers can be misleading and what you think you are getting might not be the thing you get. It happened with, like, Suicide Squad. It happened with Aliens Colonial Marines. It can happen with any sort of medium. It doesn't have to just be games. So... Yeah everything more or less becomes a bet and a gambling wager and so i have to ask myself every time that i pay for a game am i okay with losing this money to something that i don't like like if hmm. i pay 50 dollars for this game is that an amount of money i'm okay with parting with like if i just went outside and threw 50 dollars to the wind would i hate myself or not and if i can say yes i would be okay with parting with 50 dollars right now then it's like okay then i'm okay with this game no matter what it turns out to be and if i'm not then Mm -hmm. i should probably hold off 
I just yeah. don't like. Yeah. I just don't like it when people get hyped and then blame the marketers. It's like the marketers, <laughs> the marketers right. did their job. Like they right. got you to buy the game. I'm sorry that you made a poor decision, but it was your decision. You know, like somebody is evil for like making you excited about something and then it doesn't match your expectations of it. I mean, I do think that there are examples of disingenuous sure. marketing, you know, like there, there, there are moments where, you know, I just earlier today, and I'm not saying that this is something that like, oh man, I'm so deeply upset by this, but you know, I look at Street Fighter V, uh, a game that a lot of people felt uh, was unfinished when it released in february because it uh, was I, I i i like I, I see and again susan you and i <laughs> talked about this at the time because my expectations came from a different place yeah, 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 a kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. i had i played street fighter 2 when it came out on super nintendo right so the idea of like 16 fighters and i can play it online a treasure trove of magic. <laughs> like, <laughs> look at all the things you can do. Look yeah. at all the stuff that's in here. A training mode? This is magical. But, like, you know, I, I can see how somebody who is, like, a diehard Street Fighter fan would be pissed about this. And even I'm pissed about this, wherein I have the season pass for this game. And Capcom sells this season pass as... You know, this this is a game that's going to evolve over the course of the coming year. This season pass gives you access to everything. The new characters, the new stages, and it was bullshit. Like, you I'm, get access to the new characters. I'm just going to say but, this straight up. Stop buying season passes. Don't do done. it. Don't, Don't do it. Do it. It is not in your best interests. Like, okay, if you end up wanting everything that comes out in a season pass, mm -hmm. that's a wonderful situation. You will end up spending more money buying each thing individually, but the sure. likelihood that you're going to want everything in a season pass, low. Very yeah. low. And, Very and, and low. Full, full disclosure to, to everybody out there, uh, I didn't buy the season pass. I Code was provided oh, to well, me through Games Radar by Capcom. And yet, I was playing. I bought. I purchased my copy of Street Fighter V. I went to a store and bought a disc, and was fully expecting to buy the season pass because I loved the alternate costumes that they were advertising mm -hmm. for the game, mm -hmm. like sexy Ryu and and uh, sexy Chun Li, and the cover art where Chun Li and Ryu look like they're going on the most romantic sparring match of all time. I was <laughs> pumped, pumped for that. And guess what? You don't get any of that stuff with the season pass what? none of those costumes oh no oh. not only do you not get those costumes susan capcom asks you for four dollars a piece for the costumes oh that that's a disgrace that's a four dollars like, like okay look these are businesses they need to make money. Mm -hmm. they need to see a return on their investment i am sure. i am not against companies making money right that's what lets them make the next game mm -hmm. but but and and this is like i think that that is a moment where i i think that's like a sort of sticky bridge between the idea of being really excited for something that's coming up and disingenuous marketing you know sam right, like right right i i like that this is a different thing this is this is not oh I was super excited about Street Fighter V, and now my enjoyment of it is misled because of the marketing. It's more like, you you indicated that this thing that I was going to be purchasing 
was going to be something dramatically different than what it actually is yeah. in practice. Yeah, there and that de- sucks. There definitely are instances, like you're saying, where it's misleading at the gentlest uh, description of the word. So, yeah, there are definitely times where that happens. I, I completely agree. Here's what sure. really, really bugs me about how how under how much hype is now part of the program for mm-hmm. for releasing a game it's not just like hey e3 we're gonna let you know that we're working on this game and then two years later you actually get to play it or whatever now it's you know every like on on a clock every three weeks we're gonna release a new trailer or a dev diary or whatever or whatever here's the thing games evolve and change and plans adapt and you, the the game you originally start out to make is almost never the game that you end up putting out because that is the creative process because there's more governing the creation of this game than just pure creative intent there's technological limitations there's bugs there's uh, a schedule there's your resources you may have a you may put have a, an idea for a game and then you put it in there and you find out that it's not any fun like, but now, because a, a game's development is under a microscope the entire time, that natural evolution is being interpreted by a lot of people as broken promises or lies, mm-hmm, yeah. or you said mm-hmm. it was going to be able to do this and now it can't. And the the developer can sit there and say, well, the reason that changed is tech, tech, yeah. tech, 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 or whatever, blah, 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 and it never matters. It's always mm-hmm. just, but you said it would. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's what really pisses me off because all of that stuff is natural. It's not deceptive. It's been going on for as long as games have been being made. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's turning into this false narrative of you lied to us. I, I think it's interesting that we're seeing a, a recoil from that in the development community already. You know, I, I feel like... It, Kickstarter games, uh, sort of the big Kickstarter boom games, are very tied to this culture of hype leading to you know concrete expectations mm-hmm. about what a game is going to be that is divorced from the realities of development. Right. And you know, they're, they're, the classic example is Broken Age, where everybody's like, "Oh, you got all these millions of dollars, and you know, then you had to release this part one, and then you asked for more money, and double finer monsters, and so on and so forth." But now, you look at an example like Yu Suzuki and Shenmue 3, and that game disappeared. Mm -hmm. And it is just gone from the public landscape. You know, they they raised their money, that was over a year ago now, and then they, and the only time they have peaked up is at, uh, you know, retail-related conferences. They've shown off, you know, this is our day-night cycle engine. This is what we're doing with the characters at this point. Because Yu Suzuki, damn well, if anyone knows that a game can change <laughs> yeah. before it comes out, it is the man that created Shenmue. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I, I feel like like the, the industry itself is already starting to, to react to that cycle. That seems so entrenched right now, Susan. I I feel like we're going to see a lot of developers start to pull away from that cycle of constant updates and the constant need for community engagement. Because I think the the reality is is that you don't need the constant community engagement for all things. Mm -hmm. Some games, you do. You know, like, it would have been helpful for Evolve 
to have people sitting there every step of the way here like you know that game should have been an early access mm. and it would be like here's what we're doing here's the way it's gonna change oh you don't like the fact that you can't play 90% of the content without sticking 20 hours of your time oh my god thing. who yeah well I mean we also saw it uh, with with Destiny like when we had Luke Smith yeah. on the stream and yes. he was talking about this is this was why we did had the incredibly ridiculous leveling system that we mm-hmm. had uh, mm-hmm. and had they opened that up a little bit more they would have known a lot faster no that's not fun boo we don't enjoy that stop it sure. just stop it and sure. that's it's something that respawn is is being really smart about with their uh, Titanfall 2 tech test mm. they change things not only change things uh, rather dramatically but from one weekend to the next they explained their original thinking for stuff yep and like oh we thought that this would be good but your guys you guys are telling us it isn't so here's how we're going to change it let us know if it's any better yeah mm-hmm. hell yeah yeah and, which is brilliant yeah i think it's and, a really really smart maneuver for a game that is going to live or die based on how many people engage with its multiplayer yeah Someone needs to tell Hideo Kojima to knock it off, though. <laughs> oh, my Seriously. You're just the man for the job, Staff. Yeah. Office. Yeah, I wrote a thing. You can read it on Games Radar. Uh, and, that, like, it ties into a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Like, I don't know if he just feels compelled that, like, because he couldn't talk for, like, a year that suddenly he has to be like, oh, my God, you guys, I'm working on this thing. Like, I haven't written the script for it yet. But here's a trailer for the logo, and please buy this mug. Um, a trailer for the logo. I don't even like. I just. It's a cool looking trailer, <sighs> but it it means it's so granular that it means nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. The the it means one of two things. Either Hideo Kojima just loves the sound of his voice, and he just he wants to get people pumped for this game five years before it's finished, or he's lying to us, and the game is either further along than than we even think, or it's tied Which into something totally else. Which is totally possible. Yeah. totally okay. possible. All I guy. will say, I have never had the benefit of, of being able to interview Kojima or anything like that, but when I saw him speak at GDC, he, he was the keynote speaker a few years ago, he was a lovely, humble, mm. charming man. So the, oh, yeah. I, so the idea that he just loves the sound of his own voice doesn't fit with that for me at all. Right. Yeah. So I kind of hope he is lying to us, and it is. Yeah, I'm, yeah. like yeah. that'd be awesome. He's he's straight up lied about like people interviewed him about like when uh, the Phantom Pain was first announced as a game by Moby Dick Studios, <laughs> and like so someone asked him like, "Is this a Metal Gear game?" And he's like, "No, no, it's not. It's a different <laughs> studio." But like, I can see where some of the influences are, like just hamming it up. So. Like, this is why I sound crazy when I talk about Metal Gear, right? Because it's like, like, oh, well, what if he never left Konami at all? What if this is all just a big ruse to for, like, the next chapter of the Metal Gear saga? What if he, what if Silent Hills was never canceled at all and this is all part? And it's like, you hear yourself say these things. <laughs> and you're like, no, th- this would never, no one would do this. No one would ever do this. Like, like. Like, I, I've been talking to my wife about Final Fantasy XV, and she's like, yeah, you're excited about this, but you're nowhere near as, like, crazy No, you're not. No. you about yeah, Metal Gear. No. And it's like, but the thing is, is that Hajime Tabata isn't going to go, like, no, this game is canceled, and then secretly, a year later, like, it'll get announced as something else, and, like, like create a fake game studio <laughs> to lie to people <laughs> about it. 
Yeah. He's is not going to make a trailer. It's true. It's true. Is with it, a bunch of like like no no like no name characters, then suddenly like when you get the game, Cloud shows up halfway through, and you're like, what? Like they're well, not they going to do that. They did do that for Kingdom Hearts two with the whole Roxas thing. They Roxas. sure did. Uh, yeah, they did. But <laughs> is, that doesn't no Mora doesn't count. Sam. I was gonna say, but that wasn't Hajime Tabata. Uh, yeah, is it possible that Kojima is a little bit of column A? Where yes. he might be a bit self-absorbed, and a little bit of column B, where he's just an affable uh, goofball. I, I would, what's, I would go less, less self-absorbed, and if you phrase that more as just excited to be able to say things yes. in public. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, like as we've discussed here, a guy who is obsessed with a sort of uh, puckish sense of the theatrical mm. like he is he is an overwhelmingly theatrical cat like never forget that the very first gameplay anyone ever saw of metal gear solid 4 was leaked in quotes leaked on freaking april fool's day in 2007 and it had altier from freaking ubisoft yeah. uh, from assassin's creed in it oh yes, my it god like, that's right right sure right oh yeah god. the very Our first gameplay is trailer. so weird or so, when, and, when he announced uh, metal gear solid 3 and like the 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 trailer for it was a bunch of director's chairs and like Raiden is there and like right. Snake beats the crap out of him and then he sits right. down in the chair and it's like main character Solid Snake like yep. he 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 likes to goof around he's a, he's a banana pants person uh before we abandon the subject of hype I I I you know Dave listening to you talk about Metal Gear Solid Five it. And I, I'm not I'm not going to tell anyone how they should enjoy stuff. You know, that's that's sort of a refrain that is on this podcast regularly. Love what you love, and you're not an asshole for loving it. Uh, and but I find a healthy approach with hype is I like getting really hyped up for things that are known quantities. Mm. Yeah, you know, like you know, Dave, you're you're pumped about Final Fantasy 15 not because you're like. Final Fantasy, oh my god, it's the best thing of all time, all you other scrubs, if you don't like it. It's not that, <laughs> it's that you saw Kingsglaive Final Fantasy XV, and you were like, oh wait, this world is fascinating to me now, I'm invested, and I'm pumped for this. That, and like like I've talked before, like Final Fantasy XV is probably going to be the most beautiful hot mess right. of all time, and I, I want to experience that. I want to yeah. play this game, like... It, it doesn't matter if it's good. It's going. I, I hope that it's at least interesting. Yeah, I. You know, I, there is there is only a single game coming out this fall. It's going to be a very busy fall that I would say that I am legitimately hyped for, like beyond excited. And it's Dragon Quest Seven for 3DS, man. The remake that that has been out for four years in Japan and nobody thought would ever come to the U.S. because it's like a hundred hours of text that they need to localize for an audience of maybe ten people. <laughs> like, they're going to sell copies to me and Susan yeah. and Susan <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah. I think that might, that might be it. But like, I, I'm excited for that game because I loved Dragon Quest VII when it came out in 2001, but I also recognize that that game sucks and is terrible, <laughs> and I'm really excited 
to play a, a nice modernized version of it that that trims the sucky crap out of that. And I think like, uh, a lot of that goes back to like Square Enix's statement earlier that they're like, oh, Bravely Default actually sold way better than we expected it to. Yeah. And so like I think that's why you're starting to see them take a lot more chances on bringing these sorts of games that normally they'd be like, no. Yeah. No, 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 no one's gonna buy a hundred. But then they're like, "Oh well, no, enough people will buy it that it, it's worth doing." Um, and I think that's cool. It doesn't yeah. always work out. Like I wasn't a huge fan of the Star Ocean or I Am Setsuna, but like, at least they're trying. Yeah, yeah, they're they're trying. There are very promising things coming out. I, I think it's very appropriate that that we're. Uh, wrapping up our conversation of hype on the on on looking at Square Square Enix uh, with Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest because this week is very pertinent to both of those companies. Uh, before they were Square Enix, they were SquareSoft and Enix, and this week is the when we're recording this, we are just past the twenty fifth birthday of the console that I think arguably made the greatest impact for both of those companies. Uh, the Super Nintendo had its 25th anniversary in the U.S. this past week. Uh, which is awesome. Which is awesome. Uh, you know, God bless that machine. It, it was uh, a remarkable thing. And it's so funny. We talk about, like, oh, man, you know, you got to let a console, like, the console cycle needs to last. That thing was only out for five years really? before the N64 came along. You know, it doesn't it feel like epochal, like it was out forever? Yeah. yeah. It only sold about 20 million consoles. It was not, like, by today's standards, people would say, well, Super Nintendo was a failure. Uh, but it wasn't. It, like, I honestly think, you know, if you sit there and you say, you know, what are the three consoles that most influenced contemporary game design... You'd have to be like, well, PC games from the late 90s and the Nintendo DS and freaking Super Nintendo. You know, uh, things like... Excuse me, I Final think Fantasy. the 3DO was clearly... The 3DO! The Jaguar. The Pippin. These are the important <laughs> machines. The Sega Pico. The Sega oh, Pico. Oh, bless. The Chrome's Marty. Bless! <laughs> well, you, yeah. know, you know what my standard answer is. Wonderswan. A Wonder yeah, Swan. Always Wonder Swan. Always Wonder Swan. Forever Never Wonder not Wonder Swan. Yeah. Wonder, Wonder Swan. Never not Wonder Swan. Bless its heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. We, we actually streamed. I would encourage anyone, if they want a view into some of the nether regions of what the Super Nintendo have to offer, go to gamesradar.com and watch our 25th anniversary stream for the Super Nintendo, where we just played cartridges by request. And sort of dove. We're, we're not doing any of that link to the past. No, no, no. None of that. No, none of that. Super Mario World. That's not. No. Nah. We want the deep cuts. We want the deep cuts. So today, all of us, everybody has prepared their favorite deep cuts, the unsung Super Nintendo games uh, from from the console's storied 25-year life. Susan, yes. your selections for the three best unsung Super Nintendo games. Okay, my first one may actually be too well-known and come up too often in conversation, but I have a backup, just in case. <laughs> it's Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Yes. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's, I, it's, it's sung in our circles. Okay. Yeah, yeah. To us, game it's nerd sung, circles. but it's, yeah, definitely. 
Okay. Yeah. That, uh, first of all, it, in researching for today, I started watching a speedrun of it, which it just reminded me of how incredibly delightful that game is and how incredibly hard that game is. So hard. Uh, the music is just perfect for it. And it, although it reuses, and I, I didn't realize this while I was playing it, mostly because I never made that much progress, uh, it, it reuses the same few maps. You're, you're, mm. you're going through the same few locations over and over again. But the combination of map plus music plus monsters varies just enough that it feels consistently fresh the entire way through it. Uh, it's funny. It's an actively funny game even though it has no story to go with it. And uh, it was one of the first games that let me choose to play as a boy or a girl, which I thought mm. was just freaking awesome uh, when I picked that up. So, uh, yeah, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Susan, have you ever played the sequel? I have. It's, a, it's okay. It's not, as, yeah. it's not as strong, in my opinion. It, it's not. It's not as strong. Uh, the, the best thing that team, because that was like Lucas, that was an internal team at Lucas uh, Arts. Mm-hmm. And the best thing they did afterwards, and it's not as good as Zombies Ate My Neighbors. It's not as good, but Herc's Adventures. Oh my god, I love Herc's Adventures so much. That's a great game. Oh, that game yeah, is it's so a great game. good. Fascinating game. Fascinating game. And it sort of, it does all the things that you're talking about that's, that's awesome in Zombies Ate My Neighbors. It lets you, you know, choose which, you know, if you want to be a, a man or a woman, it's Hercules and, is it Athena? It's not Athena. Oh, Somebody else. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's super cool. And that's actually you can you can get that on PSN these days. Can you it's a really? Lot more accessible. Yeah, yep. PS3. Oh. And Vita. Yeah. If I can get that on Vita, I'm all over it. It's out there. Awesome. Do awesome. it. Okay. Uh, number two is SimCity. Yeah. Nice. SimCity. The Nintendo SimCity. Yes. Yes. Uh, so SimCity, for those who don't know, was ported over to the Super Nintendo in a very good port. Like, it was legit SimCity. It was also my first exposure to SimCity because I didn't have a PC to play games on. Uh, So, and I I got it for a dollar. Awesome. Right? Like, I mean, uh, it was so cool. And I always wanted to make a really um, healthy city, like no pollution. So I always tried to make the public transit. Like, no roads, no cars, everything public transit. And I failed miserably. But it was a really... (laughs) really strong port and a, and a much more because at, at the time there were lots of platformers and lots of mascot things and, and lots of that kind of game uh, and uh, 2D brawlers and, and shooters and stuff like that and I mean shooters in the old sense not, yeah. not shmups. shmups yeah exactly and then there was and then there was SimCity and it was it was this wonderfully complex sophisticated game and uh, really got into that. Really, really enjoyed that. And an awesome soundtrack yes. that is exclusive to that version. So good. Yes. Yeah. Totally love that. And when people think of SimCity, they never think of playing it on the Super Nintendo. No. True. No. And it was a launch title too. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was the launch in '91, and I know I'm gonna forget at least one of them was Super Mario World, F Zero, Pilot Wings, mm. SimCity, and Gradius Three. Oh wow, yeah. that's a strong ass lineup. That is a strong launch lineup. Damn, you don't see launch lineups like that anymore. No, you really don't. You have launch <laughs> windows now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and my last one is still one of my favorite RPGs of all time. <laughs> 
Illusion of Gaia. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it's so good. It's, so it's real good. good. And it never gets, like, you know, Secret of Evermore gets mentioned. Uh, Secret of Mana gets mentioned. Illusion of Gaia never comes up in the Super Nintendo conversation. But it's so good. Yeah, it's awesome. Your right. little boy it's... smacks people around with his flute. With a flute. And then yeah. you turn into a big sword man. Yeah. And, uh, there's no subtext really at all. No, it, get, it gets so like it seems like it's it's like a little kids RPG when you start it. It seems like it's gonna be a goofy good time, yep. and then it gets like intense. It's like deals with slavery, and you get trapped on a raft with like a girl you barely know for three weeks, and you hate each other at first, and then you deal with Mayan ghosts. It's yeah, I've actually been playing through it again. For the first time in in many 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 years, it holds up. It's so, oh man, it's just great. It holds up so well. It plays so good. It's so pretty. Susan, have you played all of the Quintet trilogy for the Super Nintendo? I, I don't know. Yeah. So, Illusion of Gaia is technically part two. Okay. Of a, of a cycle that is called the Heaven and Earth trilogy. Oh, good God. <laughs> <laughs> But the one, the one that came before it was Soul Blazer. Oh, I own... Yes, I did play that. Yes, and that was like yeah. Baby's first RPG. Yes, yeah. very yeah. much so. Weird. It, weird in a lot of the same ways as Illusion of Gaia, but a lot simpler. Very, very simple game, yeah. And uh, the third one is sort of infamous for being one of the last really big Super Nintendo games to ever come out and to be translated in English but never released in the United States. Mm. And it's called Terranigma. Heard of it, never uh, played it. It is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Holy damn, is Terranigma good. <laughs> I, yeah, like, about... um, like, Enix went under before that game. Or, like, they didn't go under, but, like, the, their North American branch closed before that game right. came out. So, like, when Nintendo of America decided not to publish it, um... It just it ended up in Europe and it ended up in Australia. We never got it, but it's completely in English. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's so good. It's so freaking good. Uh, that's one of those things. There is there is sort of a a you know we've talked before uh, on the podcast about like what it's what it's like to access games through less than legitimate means, mm -hmm. and you know if there's no way for you to actually buy something, have at it. And there is a booming market these days in reproduction carts for the Super Nintendo. There are a lot of different places that will make cheap versions of uh, games that never came out in the U.S., uh, ROM hacks. And you can, you can find for like $20 a, a homemade version of Terranigma, a game that hasn't been in print literally in two decades. Uh, you check that but game wait, out. But wait, like localized or just still in Japanese? Oh yeah, in English. In English. Oh. You can give yeah, oh, you can find a repro card. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend seeking it out. It's great. So good. Yeah, Susan, if you want if like you have like a gap in your playtime and you have a Super Nintendo Oh, I to do. Hook up, I still have my original Super Nintendo, the very first console I ever bought with my own money. All right, I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link cuz it's it's the jam that game uh sam what are your picks man well i was quite the youngin when the super nintendo was oh, popular shut up 
I was. I know. Uh, so, so I personally have nostalgic ties to things that were licensed. So two of my games are licensed properties. One of them is Aliens vs. Predator, which was yeah. the uh, beat-em-up arcade game. Oh. And... Yeah, it's it's not. It is not the arcade game. It is an exclusive or, version for the Super Nintendo. Sorry, yes, you're right. It is the <laughs> different version for the N- Super Nintendo. Um, yeah. But what I liked about that game, specifically, not just that it was combining, you know, two of my favorite franchises at the time, um, but that it has a very different vibe than every other Alien or Predator game, just kind of by way of it being a beat 'em up, and. Yeah. It actually <laughs> follows the old Kenner alien action figures. Like, I, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure that some of the Kenner aliens, like the bull mm-hmm. alien and the gorilla alien, I'm pretty sure they actually show up in the game. And the scorpion alien. Right. So, Which was the best of those action figures because it so exploded. I am totally looking that up now. <laughs> Oh, my favorite! Uh, my favorite of the action figures was the mantis alien. That was my favorite one. Oh my god, so, these things are amazing! Oh, did you, you not know these exist? No, no. They were god, based. They're, they're so good. Based on an animated series that never got made. <gasps> yeah. So they were they were making a cartoon called Operation Colon Aliens, and there was going to be a Saturday morning cartoon, and it was in development in Korea, and they canceled it. When they were like, wait a second, Alien 3 <laughs> opens with the dissection of a child. We cannot market this series <laughs> to children. We can't do it. So they canceled it. Yeah. Little problematic. And each of the action figures came with a comic book that mm-hmm. was sort of based on plots from the cartoon. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, uh, my... Sam, before you go on, oh. this, is, this is fun. I want to tell everybody the last game ever made by the developer of Aliens vs. Predator for Super Nintendo is a Wii exclusive called, I shit you not, Cat CEO. I'm into it. <laughs> I'm 100% on board. Wait, so is the he a CEO I cat? All right. Does everybody, is he all right. a CEO of cats? I'm, gonna, I'm putting this image into Slack where everybody can see it. Cat CEO. <laughs> this is all you I'll need to I will play that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I have played this game at of one course point. You at one point, you have to be a cat playing piano and teaching it to a human being. Uh, <laughs> it is one of the worst Wii games I've ever played. <laughs> it is not as good as Aliens vs. Predator Super Nintendo. But that's, yeah, same people made those games. That's amazing. Um, my next game would be Power Rangers. Not the This time, it's not the beat em up one, it's the one that's the fighting game. Um, oh yeah because it's actually like a pretty good fighting game and like you get to go on different scales so you have like the power ranger scale but then they also have like the zord and megazord fights and like the graphics are really great and the animations are like just stellar that's one thing that the super nintendo like a lot of games on the super nintendo did really well was just really beautiful animations Mm. but Mm. i i remember renting the power rangers fighting game like every weekend that i went to my grandmother's and it's so good. Um, and then the last one would be the sequel to Rocket Knight, Sparkster. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really good. Um, I like it a lot just because it does a lot of things. It did a lot of things back then 
that games nowadays are just starting to do like sam explain the premise of sparkster and rocket knight because i feel like this is like a deep cut from konami lore yes people might not even know who that character is at this point yeah they probably don't okay so um yeah rocket knight is a konami uh property it's basically uh god what are they they're like all these furry little animals. It's basically Sonic, but Sonic is wearing, like, a powered armor suit, and he has a sword and a jetpack. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to really describe this any better than that, but it is, it's... And he fights pigs. Yeah. He, and he fights pigs. He was on the, uh, Sega Genesis was the Rocket Knight Adventures, which is what the first one was, and then there was Sparkster, and I think that, then they just, not too long ago, make a, like, reboot? somebody did they did a a a u.s studio uh got the license from konami to make a downloadable sequel slash remake for ps3 and xbox 360 and steam and it kind of sucks oh no yeah it's not very good it's not it's not up to the the rocket knight or sparkster standards yeah it's i mean it's basically yeah it's basically sonic the hedgehog but he's got a power armor suit a jetpack, and it's set in a like medieval fantasy world with pigs and robots are the bad guys but other than that what makes it so fun is that jetpack. like it you know how like call of duty Black Ops 3 and Halo 5 have made a big deal about, like, verticality and making sure that you can go, like, up and boosts and, like, wall running, and Titanfall does it too. And, like, Sparkster and Rocket Knight were doing this ages ago, and Sparkster does it better than the the Genesis version, um, where you're just, like, boosting all over the place. You're shooting up into the air, and then you throw out your sword and, like, then boost to the side. You're doing, like, double, triple, quadruple jumps. It's just really acrobatic and really fast-paced fun game very fun game dave picks all right so number one is shack fu no it's not number <laughs> absolutely no it's man. not that game was bad that game sucks on ice uh, so i mean my, my first choice if i'm allowed it's it is it is very it's it's one of those where it's, it's very popular and I, th- I think in like a very specific circle but it's still not very like widely appreciated is earthbound it will always be earthbound oh wait um, it's oh, earthbound is sung no. dude what no. no no earthbound is probably one of the most famous super nintendo games at this point well okay that is that is it wasn't when it came land. out and it yeah. wasn't when it okay. wasn't when it came out. Look, okay, I'm just gonna make it a blanket rule. If a book has been written about the game, it is okay. not an unsung hero. Okay? Okay, 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 fine. I retract my statement. Uh <laughs> then number one uh is going to be Act Razor. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Yep. Uh Act Razor's rad as hell. Uh the the second one focused on the wrong thing. Like they just they took out all the god parts. And yeah. just made it a uh, a side scrolling game, but the god parts are the best parts of the of the first game. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, yeah, it's like it is a it starts out like your standard sort of side scrolling action game. And I remember the first time I played it, and everyone's talk like it was a couple years after the like that game had come out, and I just heard they're like you got to play Act Razor. It's like okay, and I played it, and it feels like kind of a, your bog standard sort of fantasy side scrolling game. You have a sword, you kill bad guys, they explode into fire because of course they do, and then you beat the boss, and it's like okay, well, what's so good about that? But then it pulls out, and it's like no, you're a god, 
and you need to you know you you have to build your world you have to control your subjects they worship you and they'll get you access to new items new special powers to uh, new places on the map and you're trying to save this world from these like like evil demons or whatever and it's just it's it was this really ingenious blend of the like the side-scrolling action that was kind of the bog standard of the era with this like surprisingly in-depth god sim and it's it's a it's a concept that hasn't really been i don't know like has anyone made anything quite like it anthony well I, i'm trying so to the, think the, the weird thing is is to to go back to uh one of susan's picks and one of my picks illusion of gaia act razor is technically a side story to the heaven and earth trilogy Shut up. that's right Damn. yeah yep it's the exact same team same people who made illusion of gaia made act razor and it is so when you play Soul Blazer, the it's the almost the exact same story. God has been like locked away, and is you know reclaiming the earth from demons. Hmm. And uh, it's so no one else has really done that act razor thing, except for the people who made it. Like they've explored it from a couple of different angles. It was a really weird time for that studio, but yeah. Yeah, same people. It's a great game. I want another one. I want. You know what? Screw that. I just want the original game on Wii U, Ooh, so I can there play you go. it yeah. again. Yeah, just do that. Um, okay, so my second game is uh, is called The Twisted Tales of Spike McFang. Yeah. Wow. Have you guys heard of this? <laughs> no. I don't think I have. Oh yes. man. It's, oh man. Twisted it is Tales a of Spike Twisted Tales of Spike McFang. Uh, you play as a little vampire kid who, like, goes off to camp, and you, you attack enemies with your top hat. Of course you do. And you <laughs> spin your cape, and if you spin your cape too much to attack enemies, you'll get dizzy. And you regenerate your health by eating tomatoes. And, uh, yeah. It's and, like Zelda, right? Yeah, it's basically a Zelda clone, but it's, like, really weird. Like weird, like weird in the way that a Japanese game can, is weird. I see that uh, there's also, a, I see that there's a buxom unicorn girl who is a shopkeep. Apparently, what? I'm looking at images of this <laughs> game. The, okay, what is this of Spike McFang? Twisted Tales of Spike McFang. Okay. It is a, it is a surprisingly, uh, it's competent as a Zelda game, but it's also just like it's, it's super weird. Um, it's great. It's great. You should play it. <laughs> it's so good. This might be the yeah. This might be but the you first also like you get on my list. Like yeah, you actually you get um, people to uh, like you'll get. It's it's sort of twist on the Zelda formula is that you'll meet party members along the way and they'll follow you around and help you out. Um, but yeah, you know, solve puzzles like a Zelda game, attack bad guys like a Zelda game. Uh, all of the save points are like Easter Island head statues. Uh, because of course they are, because they have to be, because it's a Japanese video game. <laughs> and that has a lot to do um, with vampires, so yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah, and, and you fight, like, little, little cloves of garlic, um, with googly eyes. It's just, it's delightful. It's delightfully weird. Um, yeah, go check that out. Yeah, that's, that is, that is one of the many games of that era that will just never get re-released. Nope. Because the, the publisher and developer were part of a larger electronics company 
It was like one of those Japanese ho- like pu- game houses where it was like, hey, we make toasters and uh, motherboards for computers. Maybe we should just make video games because there's money there. And yeah, they like the guys that made uh, Twisted Tale of Spike McFang were also big TurboGrafx-16 developers. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, and, that went well. Yeah, went, went great. And they actually had lived until like they, they were still around about 10 years ago. And the last stuff they ever did was virtual console releases. Oh. And then they disappeared. Yeah. Yep. Gone. Gone into the ether, sadly. Made, made by a company called Bulletproof Software. Yeah. Uh, who made the Game Boy version of Tetris. So, fun facts. <laughs> fun <laughs> yeah, facts. Twisted, twisted Tales of Spike McFarlane. Yeah, go, go play that game. Like, just, I don't, like, find it. Find a yeah. copy however you can and play it. It's delightful. <laughs> Uh, and it's it's a game that like it's you know it's like one of those that we were talking about like with Illusion of Gaia it seems to get lost in the conversation when talking about Super Nintendo games just because it didn't really make a huge splash when it came out but I don't know it's delightful holy macaroon it is, it is yeah. eBay is not gonna be nope no nope. it's not yeah. cheap not cheap no expensive wow yeah. it's an expensive game yeah because yeah. again because it's one of those yeah. games that like they didn't make a ton of them and it turns out that like it was actually really really good, good right? And uh, yeah, I just I remember because um, what I would do as a kid, I would get like Nintendo Power magazines, and even for games that you just like you would never play or or own or whatever, uh, you would just scour the the strategy guides that they had and the maps and stuff. And I just I remember pouring over the the little section that they had about this game. And then, like, being so excited when I finally rented a copy of it from Blockbuster. And, uh, yeah. It's fun. Go play it. Mm, man, good one. Good yeah. one. Uh, and uh, then my third is uh, Legend of the Mystical Ninja. Yeah. Which is a delightful a little choice. Konami uh, side-scrolling game. You could play one or two players. Um, I remember playing that with my friend, uh, I didn't play it until high school, but uh, one of my friends had it, and we would go over there, we'd play that, and then we'd play that in another game called Enindo. I don't know if you heard oh, of that. It's like I've a, never even heard of that. Like what a Japanese that? ninja RPG. Uh, I didn't like that game so much, but just because it like it looked really old, um, and it was very clunky, like in the way that like old Super Nintendo, like old NES RPGs are kind of clunky, like very Dragon Quest-y. Um... But no, like, we would play uh, Mystical Ninja, and just, man, those games are weird. <laughs> Super weird. Um, Legend of the Mystical Ninja so good ones. It's also, Legend of the Mystical Ninja is really hard. Yeah. It's so oh, yeah. difficult. Um, it's one of those series that, like, like, I found out about the Super Nintendo game after playing the N64 game. Mm. And the N64 game is totally different. The N64 game is basically like a Zelda 64 clone, except you have a giant mech that you call upon, and there's an entire uh, theme song with sing-along bits on the bottom. And, uh, yeah, no, just the whole the whole series is just so delightfully weird. And, like, that's a good sort of side-scrolling take hmm. on that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, Man, good, stuff. good ones. Yeah. Good ones. So one of my three got got. We, we've discussed Illusion of Gaia to death, 
And my second one is kind of just like, I, I like Sam, I there are so many licensed games to the Super Nintendo that were actually great. That's true. And I feel like this one is definitely unsung, because if I say 16-bit console and X-Men, people think of the Genesis game. That, right. was, the, that was the famous one. The Genesis x-men game which was like arguably the best looking game ever made for the genesis was that the arcades challenge it was it was no it was not arcades challenge it was just called x-men it was just straight up x-men sega published and developed it and it was just like super big detailed sprites and very cool but there was and and then there was like spider-man and the x-men versus arcade which was made by ljn and is literally used to torture prisoners <laughs> like i'm pretty sure that you know in, in a, a dank dungeon somewhere somebody is being forced to play that game they like, have it listed in the like the the geneva yeah, convention exactly. as like a, a war crime yeah making somebody play that. arcades revenge is a hague worthy offense that is that is accurate but uh there is an x-men game for super nintendo made by capcom called X-Men Mutant Apocalypse. And it is the closest anyone came to making a video game that was the cartoon, mm. the the Fox animated cartoon. It was awesome. It was a side-scrolling beat 'em up, you know, not not like uh not like a final fight you couldn't uh move up and down or even the Aliens versus Predator game that Sam talked about. It was just like you walk from left to right in these sort of really big, weird, complex levels, and you had to be one of five characters, and all five of them had a specific level, and then the rest of the game opened up into five more levels where you could be anyone. And it was Gambit, Psylocke, Beast, Wolverine, and Cyclops. And they all controlled with, like, Street Fighter moves. So you would go in and, you know, if you did the sort of, like, quarter circle roll to throw a fireball, like in Street Fighter, you would shoot uh, Cyclops' eye blasts, or you would do, like, a rising kick with Psylocke. It was just really, really cool. Brutally difficult. Just uh, relentlessly difficult. But if you could get into the rhythm of it, it was just really unique and, and fun. And that's a, that's another one that... You used to be able to like walk into a Best Buy and it would be like, "Give us two fifty, and you can have nine copies." Of this game. <laughs> please, please take them. We have to make room for all these PlayStation yeah. games. But now, now it is. It is. It's not. I mean, it's not uh, Twisted Tales of Spike McFang expensive, but it is pricey. Uh, my the real one that I was excited to talk to you guys about because I'm pretty sure none of you will know this one is SOS. Have you ever heard of SOS? No. Okay. So SOS is the game that the guy who created Clock Tower made before he made Clock Tower. Oh my goodness. Okay. And get ready for this shit because it's bananas. <laughs> it is the Poseidon Adventure, the game. I'm into it. And it it, it is almost unplayable at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it is... It, like, if you can play this game and finish it without using a fac, you are a champion like no other. Really? Oh! I watched really a, um, uh, what is it, the Game Center CX episode 
Oh, they did. Where, they did a GameStop X episode of this. I believe so, because like I'm looking at screenshots, and this looks very familiar. It's I mean, it's beautiful. Like it is a beautiful game. It, it is, and weirdly presented like a movie. Like if you played Clock Tower, mm-hmm. the the original Clock Tower was a Super Nintendo game. It was a late era Super Nintendo adventure game that was sort of a side-scrolling point-and-click adventure uh, before it became a PlayStation series. And, you know, it had these big, chunky sprites, and SOS came just before that, and like Clock Tower, it's very filmic in its presentation. There are opening credits, there's, like, an overture, and it's very, like, it is... I would say it's the darkest Super Nintendo game I think I've ever played. And you can select one of seven characters, and each of them has a different story in the ship. So you can be, like, this young banker who's there with his fiance, or you can be this older academic who's there with his wife on their anniversary, but, like, they're fighting, and they've almost broken up, and he, like, instead of going to bed, goes to have one last drink, and then the boat capsizes. It's crazy. Like, you can't believe this game is on Super Nintendo. And it is straight up the Poseidon Adventure, where you are on a timer, the boat tips over at the very beginning of the game, and you have to explore the ship not only to find a way out, but to find survivors and to bring them with you. And the timer is constantly ticking down. So at certain points, the ship will like, you know, it won't just stay upside down. It's it's like a sinking ship. Mm. So it will tilt as the timer ticks down. So it's like, oh no, this part's broken off. And now the ship is straight up and you have to worry about how to platform. And it's it's got that sort of, chunky style of platform like Prince of Persia or Blackthorn or the original Tomb Raider Mm. where it's like you've got to hold a button latch onto the ledge and then press something else to climb up and so none of it works particularly well (laughs) 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 much like Prince of Persia yeah a lot like but like so much worse than Prince of Persia like the first time I played SOS was like I basically you know jumped into fire over and over again. Instead of dying, you don't die. What? It's just if you fa- like if you fall, like say you you know like if you were in a sinking ship and you fell ten feet because the thing is standing straight up in the mm-hmm. air, uh, you just you fall and then you lose time. Uh, so uh, it'll reset you, you. Okay. but now you have less time to to get okay. out. And like even even as simple a thing as like just latching onto a ledge. What, that you're trying to reach, and, like, you can see the sprite, like, they, the, this old man, like, I like playing as the old guy, who's, like, you know, sort of uh, watching his marriage fall apart, but then he, like, realizes all he wants in the world is to save his wife, and he goes back for her. Like, I'm watching him, he has insane vertical. This old man can jump, like, nine feet into the air, and yet he's not connecting with the goddamn stairwell that's directly in front of him. There's a lot of that. And when you find survivors, there are things... Like, you need to get them to follow you, and then you need to get them to follow you all the way out. Pathfinding AI isn't an exact science in 2016 on a Super Nintendo cartridge. It's a goddamn nightmare. (laughs) And so, like... Wait, 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 Anthony, you, you remember this was Unsung Heroes of the SNES, mm-hmm. right? That's right. And, and you're oh, yeah. talking about a game yeah. that really doesn't work. Yeah, because it doesn't work, but it's so awesome, Susan. It's so... Like, <laughs> just playing it, 
you're like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever played. The fact that they even attempted to make it yeah. is awesome. It, it's, it's yeah, like, I'm, I'm so grateful that I still have a cartridge sitting around. I really should have had that for our stream. That was dumb. We should have fired <laughs> up SOS. And it'd be like, here's ten minutes of somebody repeatedly failing at SOS. Yeah, well, uh, th- like I said, the... Yeah, like I actually just found the uh, it was they did a Game Center CX episode, the Japanese show where the guy just plays like old, really difficult Nintendo games and like doesn't stop playing until he finishes them. <laughs> um, but in Japan, it's called Septentrion. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and yeah, like that that was uh, I remember this. I remember this. I will throw the link into into Slack so you can watch it later. But yeah, it's it's great. His uh, his so... his pain is palpable. <laughs> it's so cool, man. I mean, what a cool game. The soundtrack is just great. It's great. So cool. So, yeah, happy birthday, Super Nintendo. Uh, you bless, did good. Bless your little heart. We love you. Uh, and we love all of you who are listening. We will be back next week. Uh, our next episode is going up on Labor Day. So keep an eye out for it. We're going to to make plans ahead of time to record that so it's there for you. Uh, in the meantime, as always, like, follow, subscribe, like, follow, like, subscribe, follow, subscribe, like, follow, subscribe, like, follow, subscribe. Like, follow, subscribe. Uh, we do want you to like us. We are slowly but surely rebuilding this podcast empire that we, we once had. This is a... I, we're almost two months in of the renewed podcast, guys. I feel really good about this. Um, we ask you, we implore you... Two of our listeners gave us new reviews Aww, on iTunes. Thank you. It's, it's nice, very wonderful things. I actually want to bring this up really quickly. We talk about this at the end of every single episode lately. Uh, the importance of iTunes reviews. Uh, the importance of iTunes reviews is big. That guarantees that we can keep making the podcast and it's also uh, you know how we reach new, ris- uh, new listeners. Uh, I thought you would like this one. Oh, wait! Oh wait, we have three new uh-huh. ones. Hey. We, have three, we have three. We uh, <laughs> we have three new reviews. Two G Two G says I could listen to these guys talk about anything and still enjoy the podcast. Aww. My favorite part is when they go totally off subject. <laughs> if you want a scripted no son- nonsense video game news program, this isn't for you. If you want all the nonsense and well thought out opinions on the current and past trends in video games, subscribe. We, uh, thank we, we you. are strictly a, a at least some nonsense podcast. That's true. Like, yeah. <laughs> Wait. You're some. Okay, guys. I just realized we haven't referenced Lost yet. We oh, hit, we wow. hit the Vita, That's... so we're solid on that. And, and we, yeah. of course, we had <laughs> yeah. we opened with some slow jams. We had a Metal Gear talk. Yeah. <laughs> slow jams. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we had R and B slow jams, and I guess now, yeah, we've mentioned Lost. Okay, um, we're good. I don't think it counts. We have really to go back. It. There it is. Kate, we there have to go back. There it is. A grizzled there Pixies fan shouts at a woman that they need to go back to an island that kills them. <laughs> yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.
Yeah, that's a good that's good programming right there. Uh, yeah, everybody, uh, keep listening. Do please review us on iTunes. We we cannot tell you how much we love it when you do. And uh, contact us all on on Twitter if you're if you're looking at this. Take a look at the show notes. Uh, Dave painstakingly puts the show notes together every single week, and our Twitter handles are in there. Uh, and we will we'll see you next time, everybody. Thank you so much. Bye.